Hey there, it's Frank Buckley. By now, you've heard about the horrific helicopter crash that claimed the lives of nine people last weekend, including Lakers basketball legend Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Johnny Gigi Bryant, along with seven other people. Orange Coast College baseball coach John Altabelli, his wife Carrie, and their 13-year-old daughter Alyssa, basketball coach Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester and her 13-year-old daughter Peyton, and the pilot Ara Zobayan. They were en route to a basketball game at the Mamba Sports Academy in the Thousand Oaks Newberry Park area of Southern California when that helicopter went down. Incredibly, it was a year ago, almost to the day, when we sat down with Kobe Bryant for Frank Buckley interviews at the Mamba Sports Academy. I'm a lifelong Lakers fan, so it was a thrill to sit with Kobe that day and painful to hear of his death. Given the events of the past few days, we thought it was appropriate to share that conversation with Kobe once again on this podcast, along with the poignant comments this week from a couple of people who knew Kobe well. On the KTLA Morning News this week, we spoke with Andrew Bernstein, the Hall of Fame basketball photographer who photographed Kobe from the time he first joined the Lakers as a teenager. Andrew collaborated with Kobe on a book we featured on this podcast in December of 2018 called The Mamba Mentality, How I Play. We also spoke this week by phone with Gary Vitti, the longtime and now retired trainer for the Lakers, who was also close to Kobe. We sat down with Kobe Bryant on January 30th, 2019. Here's our conversation. Kobe, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Um, I'm really happy for you with this wonderful facility that you've got here, the the Mamba Sports Academy. Uh, Looking forward to hearing all about it. Before we get into that, I want to review what you've done since you've, quote, retired. Granity Studios, two films, Muse for Showtime, Dear Basketball, you win an Academy Award for that. Books, Mamba Mentality, How I Play with Andy Bernstein. We've talked about that on this program. Fantastic book. Wizenard series yeah. for kids. Uh, TV, Detail, Breaking Down Basketball for ESPN. Muse Cage Basketball Network series of videos. The podcast, The Punies. And I think the most important thing you've created is a fourth baby girl. Yeah. Congratulations on <laughs> thank that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But you're supposed to be retired. Leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just uh, you just evolve. You know, I, I move away from the game. But I take the lessons that I learned from the game and transition it to something else. I mean, yeah. you know, like you, you, you retire and you wake up in the morning and do what? It's important to wake up and have a purpose. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to find my passion and find my purpose, and off we, off we go. I did wonder about it because your work ethic is legendary, and I've talked to my sons about it. I've talked to other young people about the fact that you were one of the best in the business in basketball, and yet you worked harder than most of your peers. And I wondered, that guy who put all that energy into basketball the day after that last game, when you woke up and basketball was no longer your focus, yeah. can you tell me what that morning was like? Yeah, um, we got up and uh, you know we were debating whether or not we should wake the kids up and go to school because we didn't get back home till like three in the morning. Yeah, and so we're kind of debating that, and the kids come in the room themselves, dressed ready to go to school. I was like, man, that's mamba mentality, man. I love it. <laughs> so took the kids to school. We had a conference call. I had a conference call with Glenn Keane and John Williams the very next day about deer basketball. Oh, wow. And so you know, we were already 
producing that. Right? I already started the process of trying to get John Williams and Glenn Keane to do their basketball well before the last game. I was already working on the Wizenard series that whole last season, and as well as the other novels that are coming, Legacy and the Queen and the other ones. Um, so the next day, it was just hit the ground off and running with building the studio. Yeah. Um, that work ethic that I mentioned, when you were playing and you were the first guy in the gym, the last guy to leave, and you had teammates who didn't share that work ethic. Yeah. How do you, when you're you, play with that? Well, it's, it, it depends, because there, there's, there's two different kinds, right? There are some that um, have that kind of laziness that don't care because they don't love the game. You know, that's, that's a different thing. That you can't really, uh, uh, you can't really put that in somewhere. You know, but there are other teammates that I've had, we've, we've won championships with, that aren't, are doing it for a different kind of reason. Like some people don't want, really want to put themselves out there out of fear of failure. Mm. Like if I really, really try and apply myself and I fail nonetheless, you know, how does that make me feel? Where's my self-worth feel? And so when that situation occurs, you kind of figure out what those insecurities are and you try to help them navigate it, navigate through them. Yeah. You know? And so uh, you kind of got to mentor players every now and then. Yeah. Toward the end, after that horrific injury that you suffered, when you were playing at the level that you wanted to play at, tell me what that was like. Oh, it was frustrating, but it was, it was also uh, enjoyable in a weird way because I was trying to figure out from night to night what could I do and what, what can't I do? Because you're a nice, like, okay, my legs feel great. And then a minute into the game, it's like, okay, I have no legs. How is that possible? Like, I don't understand. So I'm just old. All right, well, I got to figure out another way to, to be efficient or uh, to help. Yeah. And so like every night was a different puzzle. And so I found excitement in trying to figure out what tonight's game was going to be physically, you know? Yeah. And then I just found enjoyment from that perspective and it helped me get through the year. To that end, um, in, in the Mamba mentality that, that you did with Andy Bernstein, he talks about your work ethic. We both talked about your work ethic, but in those photographs, I, I didn't realize how much thought you put in to each player that you opposed. Oh yeah. And and their tendencies and and that was what was beautiful about that book to me. The snapshot of you creating separation or or putting your hand up or yeah. or making contact with a player. And yet, when I've talked to my sons about basketball, I say, don't think, right? Yeah. Do it all in the training and then don't think. So explain that to me, the yeah, thought process there, as you're playing. You have to do an, an, an immense amount of research and then study that over and over and over and over. So then when you play, those things are organic and they just happen, right? But the only way to trust that is to do enough study and enough research yeah. where then it just seeps to the back of your mind. It's like downloading software, man. Once you download it, it's in there. Yeah. Um, but it's a certain seriousness that I took to winning championships. Um, you know, these fans here are passionate fans. Right? Winning championships means everything to yeah. them. It means everything to me. And so I had to apply, I had to approach my craft with that same level of seriousness. Yeah. So I didn't want to leave any stone unturned, whether it's little tactical things, whether it's understanding the, 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 the mental state 
of my opponent and different ways we can break them down, whatever the case may be, I needed to really study in order to win championships. Yeah. You're obviously one of the most competitive people in LA, if not the world, and people who are at your level are all competitive. I had a chance to play pickup once with Magic Johnson. This was long after his career was over. He was literally stretching out at 24-hour fitness, and yeah. I said, I had next, and I said, do you want to run? He said, sure. First of all, experience of a lifetime. Yeah. But secondly, even in that silly pickup game, he was so competitive. Of course. And, and I wonder, do you have that still in you when you, like, I don't know if you play pickup ball now, or do you still play it all? And Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, you know, it's competitiveness, yes, but it's a simple uh, theory or, or idea to live life by. If you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. No matter what it is, yeah. if you're going to do it, do it to the best of your ability, and that's what you saw from Magic that day. Yeah. Um, the Lakers right now got one of the best players in the world, maybe the best player who's still active in LeBron James, um, a younger squad playing with him. Um, they haven't been able to get it done this year. Yeah. Are you disappointed in where they are right now, or is it just a moment in time and they'll be okay? Nah, I think we got to kind of step back and have some perspective, because they were, they were playing really, really well. They found themselves really in the thick of the playoff race. And then you had injuries. Yeah. I mean, you had Rondo going in and out. You had LeBron have a major injury. You had Kuz going in and out. You got Alonzo going in and out. I mean, come on now. In a tough Western Conference, how are you supposed to sustain that? Yeah. Right? I mean, the fact that, you know, you're getting LeBron back healthy, you're getting guys back healthy, and you still find yourself in that playoff contention is a miracle. <laughs> right? Right. So you kind of got to step back and have some perspective about that a little bit. And, okay. Uh, yeah, we would love for them to be doing better, but, man, dude, you got to have luck of the draw sometimes too, right? Injuries play a big part in it, so. As you said, L.A. wants a champion. Everyone's pointing fingers. A lot of the fingers are going at Luke Walt. What do you think? What's he, what's he supposed to do? I mean, you got half the team injured. <laughs> you know, man, that's the part that, that drives me crazy. Um, like, I, I'll give you an example. So people talk about Phil Jackson. They talk about Greg Popovich. They say, oh, okay, well, you won because you had Tim Duncan and Ginobili and Parker. Or Phil, you won because you had Kobe and Shaq or Michael. Who the hell is you supposed to win with? <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, what yeah. you, who are you supposed to win with? Right? <laughs> and now you look at Luke's situation here and, uh, you know, having his key guys go down, what is he supposed to do? Mm -hmm. the, the, the fact that the team's head is still above water is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You talked about guys you've played with. One guy who, post your playing together, who has just said the most wonderful things about you is Shaq. On our morning show, he talked about who's the you know the best player you played with, and it was you. Um, did that surprise you when he started? I don't know. Given the fact that you guys had tension. No, because you know I, I've always said the same about him. There, there, there was tension, yeah, of course, there was tension because we had a lot of differences. Yeah. Um, um, but the respect was always there as players, always, always. And uh, I love having the opportunity to sit down and chat with him. And uh, even looking at his kids and the way his kids are developing and playing basketball now, and uh, we have a great, great relationship. So no, it doesn't surprise me. We got a great relationship. Now. Yeah. Let's talk about this place, the Mamba Sports Academy. Yeah. It is 
if I had had this growing up, I would have been in the league with you, Kobe. <laughs> okay, maybe yeah, not. This, this is this is like this is like Disneyland for athletes, man. It's something I wish I had coming out as a teenager. Because I used to go from spot to spot. I used to yeah. go from gym to gym, lift weights here, shoot here, you know, do my conditioning over here. Versus having just one facility where you can get it all done. Yeah, it's like a dream come true, man. What are you guys doing here that's different from what I get at my gym or? If I tell my sons, go work out over here. What's well, different? One about of the big this? differences is a laser focus. What do you want to get better at? You got to have a goal when you come here. This isn't a, a fitness place, this is a goal oriented place. Mm. You want to be a better basketball player, you want to be a better volleyball player, you want to be a better football player. Then you break it down to position. What is your position there? Right? And then we work, we build a team around you to help you get better at that aspect. So we're very goal oriented, very goal driven. Uh, we also look at the health, nutrition, we do recovery. Uh, so it's truly a, a, a full full circle environment. It's like the environment of a professional athlete, except whoever comes here is that's, getting That's exactly right. And, and it's an environment where parents can trust that your kids are getting top care. Because mm. you know things have been vetted by me. You know, we have very high standards here. We're not going to put your kids in front of somebody that's some quack or something like that you may find online or Google some, something, right? You come to this facility, you're going to get the top care. Your kid, you can you can trust the fact that you, know, you got coaches here that know what they're talking about, yeah. and uh, you can watch your kid get better. It sounds like the kind of place for an elite athlete, but not necessarily for the average athlete. Or am I wrong? Oh no, no, no! Because you get better incrementally, right? Everybody's standard of excellence is different, mm. right? The most important thing is that you become the best version of yourself. Okay, that is the key. You know, get better every single day. Are you better today than you were yesterday? Right. If the answer is yes, then you're on the right track. Yeah, that's Mamba mentality. Get better every single day. Yeah. As a dad who has kids now who play, do you find yourself in the role of that parent in the stands who's... No, no, no. man. I'm pretty, pretty calm about it because I understand the process of it. Hmm. Right? And I think it's important for parents to understand that, too. You, you, yeah. don't, you don't get super... Like, you get crazy at games and that and the other. No, no, it's a process. You know, there's this game today, there's gonna to be another game tomorrow. The tournament this week, there's gonna to be a tournament next week. You gonna get crazy there too? Yeah. Like just, just enjoy the process. Let your kids get better every single day. Let them work on their craft. Understand that the lessons that they're learning through sport are not just about the sport itself, but are about life, right? And how they develop as people. And as parents, it's very important that we have that in perspective. But this is coming from the guy who I used to watch you play and you go to the, the hole, and if a guy even came close to you, you were, hey! Yeah, and then yeah. you were talking to the ref all through the game. Yeah. Is it hard for you to see sometimes that ref not doing the right thing? Well, no, it's, 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 it's different. You know, at the time where it's a, I'm playing in the NBA, it's a profession, and you're trying to win championships, and you're trying to get an edge anywhere you can get it. Yeah. Right? Right now, it's a little different. Like, my biggest concern now in coaching my girls, for example, playing basketball, is your safety. It's just maybe refs are doing their job. Just make sure the kids are safe yeah. and protected. And that's about it. You've accomplished so much on on both the court and now post-career in a very short period of time. What's next? What? And when I talk to you in five years, what are you going to tell me that you're you're doing in five years from now? Well, we'll, uh, we'll probably be uh, releasing our first feature animated film. Uh, Wizard hopefully it'll be a Broadway, Broadway musical. And, uh, but at the center of it all, even with this facility, what we're trying to do is inspire a next generation of athletes. That's all. Get them to understand themselves, 
get them to understand the emotional journey that they go through as young people and understand how sports can teach them about life. You know, if we can do that through our storytelling, you know, through our, through our novels, through our feature films, through this facility and understanding the patient process of getting better every single day, uh, we can teach them how to be better citizens of the world, man, then we've done our job. Is there any chance in heck that you would ever put the jersey back on and be back on the on the court? Zero. <laughs> and I don't like saying, you know, zero percent, but yeah. truly zero percent. All right. Well, we <laughs> wish you would, but thank you so much, Coach. You got it, man. Appreciate Congratulations. it. Congratulations. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you for coming down okay. here. Of course. Of course. And that was Kobe Bryant from January 30th, 2019. This week, many people have been expressing their grief, talking about their memories of Kobe Bryant, and remembering Kobe and everyone who was on that helicopter. And here are a couple of people we talked to on the KTLA Morning News who were friends and co-workers. First, here's Andrew Bernstein, the Hall of Fame basketball photographer who photographed Kobe from the time he was 17. They collaborated together on a book called The Mamba Mentality, How I Play. Andrew Bernstein is here. It is good to see you on on a on a hor- horrible day. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, you were telling us you haven't slept. Yeah. Um, you you met Kobe when he was a kid. Yeah. When yeah. he was first came to the Lakers, literally shot his team photo. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to ask you first your your thoughts and feelings and and what you're going through. Um, I was with my uh, 11-year-old daughter when I heard the news, and I I don't know how I kept it together. Honestly, we're in the car, and um, it's it's just, uh, it's truly unbelievable. I mean, it really is. Um, You you think certain people are just invincible, superhuman. Um, Of course, they're not. And and now um, the after effects with Vanessa and the girls, and and the whole world is grieving. I mean, it's... um, you know, I remember when I was five years old and uh, I was growing up in Brooklyn and I was shopping with my mom on Avenue M in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and uh, some lady came in screaming that uh, President Kennedy was shot. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we'll all remember this moment. It's, it has that kind of gravity. Mm. We were talking to you in the commercial break about be- being the photographer for the team, but you knew Kobe in a more personal level mm-hmm. than just photographing him in his jersey yeah. on the court. Right. Yeah. You knew him as the father and mm-hmm. as the entrepreneur, the businessman, all those things. Yeah. Husband. What was he like for those of us who who never met him? Well, when I met him, he was a teenager. He was a kid, so um, it took a while for him to grow into this manhood and, mm-hmm. and to become a uh, full-fledged NBA veteran. And then, of course, three-time champion, and uh, started winning gold medals. And he won two more championships. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, a veteran, a leader, and mentor, a, a living legend in the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't really see that in sports. You know, a guy is actually, you know, Tom Brady maybe, but I can't think of too many others. Um, but I was very, um, very lucky that uh, he and I forged a great relationship. You know, he was a, as obsessed with his craft, I guess, as I was with mine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of a meeting of the mind. So I, I shot many of his trainings um, off the court, a lot of stuff personally with his family as the family grew. And uh, I'm going to miss him terribly. Uh, it, looking at your beautiful photographs there, Andrew, mm-hmm. and, and I've talked to you about those photographs. Mm-hmm. I've talked to him about his col- uh, mm-hmm. collaboration with you. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about some of your photos and how they captured these moments that 
as basketball fans, we don't really think about. Oh, mm-hmm. they just went up and he made a shot. Yeah. You were able to capture these moments that he talked to you about, mm-hmm. creating separation, doing these special moments mm-hmm. that that we don't really see, that you capture in a snapshot. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about when, when you talked to him about photography mm-hmm. and how important that was to him. Well, I got to tell you, it blew me away because when we started to do the book together a year after he retired, um, he started pulling out photos and ideas for photos that that he had dissected mm. while he played yeah. so, you know I, I see a photo that you put up there and as a photographer I see it as you know good photo or you know it has some kind of emotional value to it but I don't see it as a, like a science project <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't see how how the physicality and and how his hips are moving and how he's looking at a guy in a certain way and he's going to, you know, make a move a split second after that. So it was really a revelation for me that he did that. And he, he said that he did that going back to being a kid and having my posters in his room and mm. other photographers work that he studied and, and really broke down uh, throughout his life. Yeah. Could, could you tell if he, this was a good game, this wasn't a good game because you had this very keen yeah. eye focused on him. Mm-hmm. Well, he very rarely had a bad game. Um, you know, some some games uh, the sh- the sh- you know shot percentage wasn't as high as it should have been, but he never um, mailed it in. I mean, it was never. I I shot everything from preseason games, even pickup games in practice, um, <laughs> playoff games, USA Basketball Olympics. I mean, this guy every single time brought brought it to the mm. uh, to the court there's a lot of great players but yeah. what made him different you keep hearing about his work ethic and how dedicated he was to the game yeah well it's the mamba mentality really i yeah. mean it, if you break it down it's you know he was totally obsessed with his craft uh-huh. and um he was he was constantly curious about how to get better mm. and he was relentless you know, literally relentless i mean um he would not stop until he solved a problem so if he had an opponent he was going to play against, he would watch film endlessly. We'd be on the plane flying from one city to the next after a game for a back-to-back. He'd be up all night studying film. Wow. You know, guys are sleeping or listening yeah. to music or whatever. Yeah. And he had these natural gifts, and yet he never relied on that. Mm. He, he was, you know, his, the legend is he was the first in the gym, mm-hmm. last to leave. Yeah. True? Yeah, oh, a million percent. Mm. Yeah. I knew that because I had to get there before. <laughs> I, and, I, and I couldn't leave till after he left. <laughs> right. yeah. So, yeah. Do you have a favorite picture of Kobe? Well, you know, if, if we're on this theme of Mamba mentality, uh, it's got to be the shot of him um, in the ice chest in mm. New York, the black and white. There it is. Phil oh. Jackson actually called this picture the thinker. <laughs> like yeah. That's funny. Yeah. thinker. Yeah. Um, the backstory, really quickly, is that the Lakers had played the night before in Cleveland. Less than 24 hours later, we're in New York, and he had two busted up ankles and a really broken index finger, his shooting finger, mm-hmm. and he's soaking the ankles, and he's got the index finger in a coffee cup with ice. Yeah. Oh. And this is a sort of a chaotic, busy locker room pregame, and he's meditating, getting himself ready to play, the will to win and the will to exceed and, and, and succeed and play, and um, truly unbelievable to me. Oh. I think he went out and scored 35 that night or oh, something. Man. Crazy. Wow. Well, I know that, that you are deeply personally affected, so we, we want to pass along our condolences to Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. And if you can, through you, to the rest of the family, mm-hmm. uh, to the Lakers family, of course. Uh, Andrew's book uh, with Kobe Bryant is called The Mamba Mentality, How I Play. And we thank you for that book and for, for coming on with us today, Andrew.
We also spoke with Gary Vitti, the longtime and now retired Lakers trainer, another friend of Kobe Bryant. Gary Vitti uh, joins us on the phone now to share his memories about Kobe Bryant and uh, what the Laker great taught him. Uh, Gary, thank you for joining us on a at a difficult time for you. I want to personally just uh, pass along our condolences to you and what you're going through right now. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, difficult time. It for, sure is. Uh, for everyone. You, you were w by his side from the time he was a kid, uh, when, literally a teenager when he came to the Lakers, uh, the youngest player in the history of the league. Talk to us about that young kid that you first met. Yeah, at, at the time he was the youngest um, to ever be drafted in the NBA at 17 years old. Um, and, and so I guess you know, your listeners have to understand that, you know, because he was the first, there, there really wasn't a playbook. I mean, there was no template to how do you take care of a 17-year-old kid in, in uh, the NBA. I mean, literally, if I wanted to give Kobe Advil, I had to call his mother. Mm. Um, and, and so we, you know, we kind of figured it out together. Um, because you wanted to treat him like an adult. He wanted to be treated like an adult, but he wasn't an adult. He was, he was a minor. And, you know, later, in, uh, towards the end of our career together, because uh, as you said, we both retired together, you know, the joke that we had between us was um, I watched him grow up and he watched me grow old. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but he, he, you know, for 17, he was a mature kid. Um, he oozed confidence, and, you know, he showed signs that, that even at that age that he would not, he would not be denied. Um, you know, what his dream was, you know, for the game of basketball. And, um, you know, he, he obviously went beyond what anybody ever really thought mm. um, he could do. Gary, you were one of the very few people that saw every game Kobe played. What did watching Kobe teach you about the game of basketball? Yeah, probably um, coming off of what I just said, that he went beyond what you know, we thought the expectations were for him. Uh, I think people would be surprised if um, when they hear me say that, that Kobe was talented, but by NBA standards, he was not the most talented guy to ever play the game. And what I mean by that is, is that he was, he was big, I mean, as a human being, you know, mm -hmm. compared to me. But by NBA standards, he, he was not a giant human being. He was fast, but he was not the fastest. He was quick, but he was not the quickest. You know, he was strong, but he wasn't the strongest. So what was there about him that he was able to take the talent that he had and become one of, if not the greatest player to, to ever play the game. And, and so when you look at it that way, the lesson that he taught me is that talent is truly the most overrated thing in life. Mm. It, it's what you do with your talent. And, and I think that, you know, if, you, if there's anything out there for young people um, that is, is the lesson that he taught me, yeah. uh, which I think is different than the lesson that he was teaching young people. He was telling young people, find your passion, whatever it is, 
and then be the best you could be at it. That, that was Kobe's mantra. Gary, I don't know if you saw it, but Jerry West on Sunday was interviewed, and uh, you could tell he'd been crying all day. Um, and I just wonder, as a member, you're no longer active with the team, but you're always going to be a member of the Lakers family. How does the Lakers family move on? How do, and you, you don't move past Kobe Bryant, but how do you take the next steps to keep going? Yeah, I, I wish I knew. Um, you know, your mention of, of Jerry, you know, being emotional. I mean, I'm doing pretty well, like, right at this second. Um, but I can crack at, at, at any moment. And I'm not, I'm not sure how you move on. I mean, Kobe would tell you you find a way, you know. And, and I, maybe that's the, that's the thing is, you know, what would Kobe want us to do? Um, you know, the loss of, of, of Kobe in and of itself is – it's a tragedy, but this is greater than that. This is a tragedy of epic proportions. There were other people on that helicopter. There are other children. There are other parents. This goes beyond the Lakers. Yeah. This is this is a horrible tragedy. You know, I I knew Gigi. I, I mm. you know when she was born. I mean, mm. I I've known Kobe before. He had children. There's Natalia. There's his other daughter. I mean. What about her? She lost a sister and a, and a, and a father. What about Vanessa yeah. and the other families that that were on? And when I when I start thinking about it uh, like that, yeah, it it it, it I don't know what, you know I, I don't know where to go with it. It's yeah. <clears throat> well, I, um, I am I, I appreciate your thoughts on it, Gary, and I, I also appreciate the fact that you do recognize all of the other families and and folks who are lost it uh it is a tragedy that goes beyond one person and 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 thank you so much for joining us at this difficult time and, and we know the lakers organization and the F lakers family will move on but it's it's going to take time yeah Gary, thank yeah. you so yeah okay thank you for having me Thanks for listening on a difficult week here in Southern California. I hope you'll join us on KTLA this weekend for a special edition of Frank Buckley Interviews in which you'll see this conversation with Kobe Bryant. Thanks for listening.